Hello, and welcome to the Faith Church Podcast Channel. We exist to reach people and connect them to God and others. If you would like more information about Faith Church or would like to schedule a visit sometime, visit our website at www.igotofaith.com. We can only do what we do because of the generosity of our Faith Church family. If you would like to contribute to our ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at www.igotofaith.com and hit the giving tab. Or you can text the amount of your contribution to 256-483-4991. Both of these options will send you to a safe and secure server. Your giving is much appreciated. Now get ready as our lead pastor, Steve Husky, continues with part three of his series, Greater Than. Y'all pumped up, ready to be here? Yeah, it's a great morning, man. Excited. We are in week three of this series. We started a couple weeks ago making this statement, making really more of a declaration that God's greater than. Because I, I know this, I know this for me, I know it's true for you that as we head into 2017 that you will have obstacles, you will have challenges, you will have difficulties. Every one of us in this room, we're going to face some things that may feel too big for us. But we come and we can just make that declaration that God's greater than, that God's greater than what we're going to face. And not just the situations that are hard, but I want you to know that I believe God's going to give you opportunities and God's going to open doors for you. And there's going to be things that God lays on your heart to do. And you might feel like you're not enough to accomplish that or do that. And it's going to be the time that you make that declaration. Come on, say it with me. Greater than. And so we've been saying that, that week one, that God's, um, God's strength is greater than our struggle. That whatever your weakness is, and we all have them, whatever your challenge is, whatever that thing is you feel like holds you back, that God is the one who fills in the blank. God is the one who subsidizes. God is the one who shows up. Last week we said that God's power is greater than our pain, which means that where you've been hurt or taken advantage of or whatever it is in your life, that God's power has a way of taking really difficult circumstances and broken people and working things together for our good. And so today I want to talk about something that's kind of, the, it is the foundation. It's, it's kind of the thing that makes, it's the glue that holds this whole thing together. But let me just say this, what we're going to talk about is this thing that we've all, we've all had in our lives. We've all sensed the grip of guilt We've all heard in our ears and felt the blame of shame, the humiliation of condemnation, right? We've all gone through that time where we have had our heart held hostage by a situation, something we've done wrong, something that's made us hang our head, something that's caused us to run from relationship. All of us in this room, we have dealt with and felt guilt, right? The power of guilt that sometimes just overcomes us. It's guilt that is sometimes so difficult for us to overcome and get through and leave behind. What is guilt? Guilt is simply this. Guilt is a realization of wrong. Now, some of us, right, we know it's wrong before we do it. We plan to do it. We think we're going to do it. And even beforehand, we know it's wrong, right? But we do it anyways. And the whole time, man, our heart is screaming out. Our conscience is, is kind of raising up in arms. There is a, right, a million-man march in our mind telling us that it's wrong. Sometimes we don't realize it's wrong until we're in the middle of it. We're in the middle of the decision, and all of a sudden we know, like, hey, this is wrong. This is out of bounds. I shouldn't do this. Sometimes we don't really come to that conclusion that it's wrong until we've already done the deed. But it's after that moment that, like, guilt comes crashing down, and again, we realize that, man, that's wrong. That's out of bounds. I should have done that. Right? It's like a counselor that went finally and spoke to her client and said, hey, Mr. Jones, I've come to the conclusion of what it is that's at the root of you feeling guilty all the time. And he said, oh, yeah, what is it? He said, you're guilty. 
Like all of us in this room, if you feel guilty, if you, if you ever felt guilt, guilt, if you are carrying guilt today, do you know why? It's because you and I, what are we? We're guilty. We have all realized that we have done things wrong. I remember for me, the, probably one of the most profound moments, memories that sticks out in my heart, like many of you, I can make a long list of things I've done wrong, things I knew they were wrong before I did them. Things that were wrong, I didn't realize till I was doing it, and things I certainly knew after it was done. Things I've done to people, ways I've treated people, like on and on. <clears throat> I remember um, as a kid, and I was probably, I don't know, maybe seven years old, but you know, my mom and dad, they would go out a lot of times on Friday night, and when my dad would come home, I can like remember this was kind of his thing, he would come home at night, and he would always take off his jewelry because like I'm a 70s kid, and so like my dad, he had, his, he, had his, he had his taco meat sticking out of his shirt. And he would wear a lot of times a cross, not because we were Christians, but because that's what you did in the 70s, you wore crosses. And so he would take off his jewelry, his wedding ring, whatever, and he would like stick it like on, on this little um, end table in the living room. And he would take out his wallet and he would take out his change. And I can just always remember this on Saturday morning coming down and like there's my dad's stuff where he took it all off on Friday night. And this one Saturday morning, like, I don't know what overcame me. I don't know what it was. I don't know what the draw was. But I remember seeing that pile of change as a little kid and just feeling like, you know, I don't know. Dad's not going to miss a quarter. And he, so even though my mom and dad was literally in the next room and I could see them, and this memory is so clear, I remember walking over and just taking just one and sticking it in my pocket and thinking, man, there's a lot of nickels and dimes there, and he's not going to miss a couple. And so I remember, like, just for the next few minutes, I'd sneak over and take one, but I would always like organize a chain so it didn't look like any was missing. So later that day, um, we went like the big Saturday, we would go to Kmart. Listen, don't hate, celebrate. It was the original saving place. And like, I don't remember what I bought, but I remember I bought some kind of trinket as a little kid. I had some money, but with my dad's um, subsidy, uh, I was able to up my game and I'll never forget coming home and my dad asking like, Hey, Stephen, um, cause that's what he called me when I was in trouble. That's when I knew things were going downhill quick. Uh, Stephen, um, how much money did you have? And I remember like right away, like I knew what I did was wrong. I felt right. I felt that, that condemnation. I felt that shame. I felt that guilt, but like all of a sudden it started coming together that dad knew what I had done. And like, I tried to, I tried to cover it over. I tried to tell him I had more money than I had, but he knew. And, and guys, and some of you know this, when, when you hurt somebody, when you betray somebody, when like you do something, you feel guilty. Here, here's the thing. Here's what you need to know. If you're not religious, that's okay. If you're new to the Jesus thing, you need to hear this. See, it's not that guilt makes you a bad person. The real power of guilt, it makes you hide from relationship. Like, I just wanted my, like, just beat me, like, just ground me. But having to look at my dad and know that I stole from my dad, like, it crushed me. And so Jesus, he comes along and he says, hey, you're all guilty. Not pointing fingers, but to get us to realize, again, the grip of guilt in all of our hearts is real. Because Jesus said, again, when you realize you're wrong, you're wrong really in two simple ways. It all comes back to this. Jesus said the two greatest commandments is to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength, and all of our mind, 
and to love our neighbors ourselves. And how many of us in this room have ever not loved God? Like we've done something wrong, we knew we sinned, we knew we did some things we shouldn't have done. Or how many of us in this room have intentionally hurt people, gossiped about people, betrayed friendships, right? We violated things. Some of you in this room, you're in relationships now, like you know you shouldn't be in, you're doing things now that you know are out of bounds. And so the grip of guilt is so powerful because we're all guilty. We all color outside of the lines. We all have done things we know we shouldn't. And so here's the funny thing is we all really deal with it the same way. If you have guilt like I have guilt, if you've had guilt like I have had guilt, we all do the same thing again. A lot of us, we try to cover it up or hide it, right? Think about it when you're a kid. Everybody here, you've done this. Anybody here as a kid remember you broke a lamp, you did something wrong? Nobody went to mom and dad like, mom, dad, I got to tell you something. Like we've tried to hide it. We've tried to cover it up. When you go all the way back to the original grip of guilt, you have to go all the way back to the garden. There, Adam and Eve, the Bible tells us, when they committed cosmic treason against God, they didn't confess. They didn't go running to God saying, hey, God, we did what you said that you know, we shouldn't do. The Bible says they went and they tried to cover themselves and they went and they hid from God. And so a lot of you in this room, like there's people that you have done things to and like you don't want to see them. You don't want to be around them because that guilt is so powerful and gripping your heart. And so it's just this challenge, man. We just get ashamed. We get embarrassed. Again, we hear, right, the humiliation of condemnation ringing in our ears. Some of us here, we don't just hide it or try to cover it up, but some of us, we try to justify it. Like, well, you know, I mean, I, we had to move in together. Like, we had to do this. It was the only thing I could do. And so we try to justify, even though like in our heart, we know we're out of bounds. We know we shouldn't. We try to make it okay, right? Going back to Adam and Eve, the first place of guilt, right? Remember when they did the thing, God showed up and challenged them. What did Adam do? I love Adam's response. Adam's like, hey, it wasn't really me. It was this whole woman thing you gave me. Like, things were great till she showed up. How many men can say amen to that? For real? You just said amen to that? Are you crazy? I'm way up here. My wife can't reach me. You're sitting next to her. Right? So Adam, he blames Eve. God looks at Eve, and Eve's like, hey, it wasn't me. Like, it was that serpent. So again, like, we have guilt. You, in this room, some of you are feeling guilty. Things you've done, things you've said, things I've done, right? And what do we do with the grip of guilt? How do we break the grip of guilt in our life? Some people, man, that like, and maybe you've chosen to go this route where you just kind of, you just try to put, try to put it out of your mind, just ignore it. Some of you guys seen, we were in Cancun this last week. Yes, I am bringing it up to rub it in, just not for a sermon illustration. I was in Cancun. <laughs> Boom. Mic drop that, baby. So it was amazing. We had a great week. Sunshine, it was all good. And at the resort we're at, like if you've ever stayed at a resort, like there are just people there for every whim and desire. Sir, would you like me to bring you a drink? <laughs> Absolutely. Now drink, I know some of you want alcohol. I'm just talking about a bottle of water. <laughs> but food, like everything you want. At the end of the week, you know, we have to go back up. We have a shuttle to the airport. And so my wife and I, we're getting ready to leave. And this guy pulls up in like this eight-seater golf cart. He says, uh, sir, would you, like a, would you like a ride up front? We're like, absolutely. So we jump on. He loads our luggage. And he goes, he says, hey, I got to make a quick stop. Is that okay? And we're like, hey, that's cool. So he goes whipping this golf cart down this path. And he makes a sharp left turn, but it's not a sharp enough left turn. And he hits this, um, this kind of row of concrete that's along the edging of the, all the sidewalks. I'm telling you, like, boom. If I'd have thought, I would have rolled out of the cart and acted hurt so I could own some of that resort right now. <laughs> but I wasn't quick enough. I wasn't quick enough. So, 
But he hits this thing, I'm telling you, breaks it, like totally destroys this edge. It was so cool. So he hits it, boom. He backs it up, beep, 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 looks at us and says, wasn't me, and takes off. <laughs> I promise that happened. Wasn't me. And so maybe that's like the way you deal with guilt is you just try to convince yourself just like out of sight, out of mind. But at the end of the day, guys, come on, all of us are guilty. All of us have broken like laws. All of us have hurt people. And so here's the real deal. And here's the crazy thing is at the end of the day, like there is a conclusion, there is a judgment for guilt. Because here's where reality, rubber meets the road, is God makes it clear that he's the one who's made us, and we've been created by him and for him and to live for him. And so he's the one that cre can create the agenda. He's the one who gives us the itinerary or the syllabus for our life. And when we choose to live outside of the boundaries that he set for us, he's the only one who can judge us. In fact, when you look at scripture, even though, again, when you hurt people, we feel guilt when we wrong our brothers, our sisters, our neighbors, like we feel that guilt. Here's what the Bible says, David, King David in the Old Testament, who maybe you've heard of him, but he was a guy who had an adulterous affair with a beautiful girl by the name of Bathsheba, cheated on his wife with her. And not only did that, but then had Bathsheba's husband killed. And he wrote in Psalm 51 and he knew what he had done. Like he felt the grip of guilt. And he wrote in Psalm 51 and here's what he said. He said, God, it's against you and you alone that I sinned. It's not that he was minimizing what he had done to Bathsheba or her husband, but he's saying it all goes back like my guilt is really, God, it's this way, not so much this way. Joseph, you guys remember Joseph of last week, right? Joseph, his boss's wife had the hots for him and kept trying to sleep with him and he kept trying to avoid her. And finally he says this to her, he says, hey, how can I do this thing? How can I sleep with you and violate not my relationship just with my boss, but my relationship with God? And so here's the question, if all of us are guilty, all of us feel guilt, all of us wrestle with guilt, some of you are racked with guilt today for things you've done, people you hurt, like you can't get away with it, can't get away from it. The question is like, what do we do with guilt? And I just want to make this declaration as you go into 2017, if guilt ever comes your way, like we just need to be able to stand up and shout this from the rooftop that God's grace is greater than my guilt. Come on, y'all got to say that. God's grace is greater than. Come on, say that. God's grace is greater than my guilt. Man, I love that. Has anybody here, have you ever taken the fall for someone else? Has you, have you ever, um, like someone else did something wrong, but you're the one that got in trouble, you're the one that got punished? If you've had brothers and sisters, that has happened at some point in your life. But here's, the, here's something probably even worse. Has someone else ever been punished for you? Like, have you ever done something wrong and someone else gotten in trouble for it? I remember in uh, the latter part of high school, first couple of years I was in college, I worked at a grocery store there five years. And so there was a uniform. The uniform was you would wear dark shoes, dark pants, and you had to wear a white button-up dress shirt. And in order to, um, like, you know, finish off the fashion ensemble, we had to use and wear a red smock, which just the word smock is uncool. You can imagine how it looked. And with the red smock, you had to wear a name tag. So, you know, every day you get dressed, dark shoes, dark pants, white button-up shirt. You get there, throw on the red smock, and you put on your name tag. So when you got hired in, they give you your first smock, and they give you your first name tag. If you lose it, misplace it, you have to buy a new one. So there was a board up in, uh, up in the break room where people who had requested new name tags, like they would just pin them to this cork board. 
One day I go into work and I'm rocking out, dark shoes, dark pants, white button-up shirt. I did roll the sleeves just a little bit because I, right, I had the guns going on. So, so I put it all on. I go up, I put my red smock on, and I go to put my name tag on, and it's gone. So I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to get written up. So I go to the cork board, and I'm looking, and there's no extra Steve's there, but there is an Eric there. And I've always kind of liked the name Eric, so I just took it off, and I put it on. And so early on at, at this store, I was a cart boy. <clears throat> I just got to say this. If you have in recent history, some of you guys maybe are young enough that you've worked at places where you have to go out and collect carts, and now they have these machines that push the carts for you. You're lame. We pushed them with muscle back in the day. When you say back in the day, you're old. But anyway, so I go out, and I'm collecting these grocery carts, pulling them in. Well, a buddy of mine pulls up. Like, I'm not saved yet. So, like, I lean on his window for a minute or two or ten, and we're talking, well, this car pulls up and wants to get through the lane. So I'm like, hold on a minute. And I'm talking, and the longer, like, I'm telling him to hold on, like, his patients are running out, he starts honking his horn, which I'm going to be honest, I don't know if anybody else here has an antagonistic personality, but I do. And so the more he wants through, the less I want to let him through. So I'm like, hold on a minute. And so after, for like, five minutes, I'm like, all right, go ahead, man. My buddy left. This car went through and told me I was a number one and I was a great person. So I went back, like I just told, just totally out of mind. I go back pushing carts and I go into the store a few hours later for a break and I see a worker there, a coworker, the real Eric. And Eric is coming out of the office and he's got this really bad look on his face coming out of the manager's office. You can tell he did not get a raise or promotion. And so I just caught him. I'm like, Eric, what's up, dude? Is everything okay? And he's like, man, I just got written up. I'm like, why? What happened? He said, someone called and said I was out in the parking lot and I wouldn't let this car go through. And they called and told me. And like, I, f I forgot I had his name tag on. Like, I was like, really? That's horrible. Who would do such a thing? And so, so watch this. So I did the deed and Eric got in trouble for it. That principle, guys, y'all got to hear me. That principle of us doing the deed, us being guilty, us taking the trouble, but someone else taking the fall is a powerful principle that goes all the way from Genesis to Revelation. It is the foundation of what this whole thing's about. It's not about churches or buildings or books or how good you are, how much money you give. It is about this theological idea that's called this substitutionary atonement. Now, I know that's not a word you'll use much, but let me just tell you what it means because it's powerful. When you ask the question, what do I do with guilt? The answer is God's grace is greater than your guilt. How do I access it? How do I download some of that? How do I get a hold of it? You do that through substitutionary atonement. What it means is this. Substitutionary means in our place. Eric got in trouble in my place. I should have gotten in trouble, but he was my atonement. The word atonement means a covering or a reconciler. I should have got written up, but Eric got written up in my place. The difference is Eric didn't want to do it in my place. I forced him in my place. The good news is the answer to your guilt and mine is the cross of Calvary. That God sent his son Jesus and he willingly showed up and he was our substitute. He stood in our place. And even though we're the ones that deserve the guilt because we did it wrong, Jesus took our punishment, and because of it, we are reconciled to God. We are covered over, and we have access to the grace of God. So we've messed up, but we still have access to grace. So how should we deal with the grip of guilt? Like, how do we deal with it? The answer is simply this. Everybody shout this word, confess it. 
confess it. Now, the word confession gets lost in church, depending on maybe your background, if you have any in church, or maybe your idea of what confession is, because it's not sitting in a box talking to a guy through a screen. Confession, the idea of confession, how you access grace. So if you're guilty here, if you've messed up, fallen short, if you feel the blame of shame, if you feel the grip of guilt, how do you deal with it? Through confession. Here's what confession is. Check it out. To verbally and mentally, it's in your heart, it's in your mind, comes out of your mouth, by faith, come into agreement with what God says about our guilt. So if you want to access grace, if you want to overcome guilt, if you want to get through the grip that's on your heart, the counter move is confession. That out of your mouth and in your heart, you come into agreement. You say what God says about your guilt. Well, check out, this is some of the most powerful scripture you'll ever read, found in the book of Romans, and it has this Paul talking about how we get through, how we navigate, how we overcome guilt through grace. Check this out. I want you all to read this with me. But now, when? Not when? Now. So somebody say, well, this is 2,000 years ago. No, this is now. This is January 29th, 2017, in your life, in your situation, in your circumstance, when you kicked the dog, smacked your kid, yelled at your wife, and almost ran over one of our parkers today, now, but now God has shown us a way, not one of the ways, way, there's only one, showed us a way to be made right with him. Remember what guilt is? Guilt is a realization of wrong. We are all in this room guilty because we've all done things wrong, but I want you to know that there's a way to be made right. What's the way? Right here, and this is cool, without keeping the requirements of the law. The law says you have to be perfect all the time. You have to always do the right thing. And I'd like to tell you that I do the right thing some of the time. In fact, I think I'm pretty good. I'm getting better. Like I'm the Beatles, baby. I'm getting better all the time. I'm like fine wine. The longer I live, the better I get. Not one amen, for real. <laughs> I pour my guts and soul out to you every week and nothing. Just kidding. But I can tell you this, that I'm not perfect all the time or even close. And all you got to do is break the law once and you're guilty of all of it. Listen, you can't, you can't stop at every red light, stop at every re uh, stop sign, like merge perfectly with the turn signal every time. If you speed one time and a cop sees you, you can't say, listen, I've been, I've been obeying the law all day. What? You only got to break it once to be guilty. But Paul says, I know a way. I know a way for guilty people to overcome and break the grip of guilt, and it's not by being a good person. Whew, it's good. Watch this. What is it? He tells us. Y'all got to read it. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. So it's not in what we've done. It's what he's, what he's done. Keep going. And this is true for who? Everyone who believes, no matter who we are. So the answer to break the grip of guilt, what Paul says is comes through Jesus, through believing in Christ, is good for everyone. Yeah, Pastor Steve, like I've not been in church very long. It's good for you. Like I'm brand new to this Jesus thing. Hey, it's good for you. Like I don't even know if I got like all the answers. It's good for you. Like, well, you don't know what I've done. You don't know who I've hurt. You don't know how long I've been doing this. Like I said I wouldn't do it and I kept doing it. I prayed the prayer and said, God, if you help me this time, I won't do it again. And every time I catch myself praying the prayer, like it's good for everyone, no matter who you are. Like I'm just telling you, like Buddhists and Muslims and atheists and agnostics and Christians and Baptists and Presbyterians and Catholics. It's good for everyone, no matter who you are. 
Glad you're excited about that. Evidently, there's another way that I don't know about, so I'm pretty excited because this is the only way I think there is. That whatever, if you're here and you've messed up, jacked up, fallen short, and you know you have, and like you're upset with your life and you're tired of disappointing people and like the shame that breaks you from relationship, not just people, but God, like how do you deal with it? Paul is telling us right here, and it's for everyone. Because like this world will tell you like, get it all together and then come and maybe God will give you a dose of the good stuff. And Paul says, it's for everyone. Doesn't matter who you are. Keep going. For everyone, here you go, for everyone has sinned and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Remember what I told you, how do you access grace through confession? By lining up what you believe with what God says. Which means you can't justify your guilt, you can't try to hide your guilt, you can't try to minimize your guilt, you can't blame other people for it. You gotta say what this says. God, I've blown it. No excuses, like I can't push it on. I did what I knew I shouldn't do, that's why I feel the way I feel. Next part, here's the next part, check it out. Yet God freely and graciously declares that we are righteous. The word righteous means that you have a right standing with God. Keep going, verse 25. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. Keep going. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. Y'all read this. People are made right with God when they believe, not when they do, when they believe. That Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Again, a substitutionary atonement. Next one. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he declares sinners to be what? Right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Anybody here excited about that? I'm just telling you that... Like when you get thrown into the octagon of life and you get the grip of guilt over your heart, that God gives us the counter move that like we can get the knockout punch and it is by the grace of God and it's free. It's not by who you are, it's by who he is. It's not by what you've done, it's by what Jesus has done for us. And so guilt, this powerful thing of guilt, like nobody likes to feel guilty, but guilt is necessary because guilt is a thing. Guilt is a thing that lets us know we're out of bounds. Guilt is a thing that lets us know that we're wrong. In fact, I would say it this way. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. That first guilt is a warning of dishonor in a relationship. When you feel guilt, it's because you've dishonored somebody. Like you violated a friend. You've hurt somebody. You've, you've gone behind their back. That's why you feel terrible. That's why you feel bad because you've dishonored a relationship. And a lot of times it's the cosmic treason that all of us have committed. Like we've not just dishonored a friend, we've dishonored the greatest friend we could ever have. And so that feeling of guilt is what tells us, hey, we're wrong, we need to come back. But the real problem is, here's the real kicker. And for some of you in this room, you say, Pastor Steve, like I've, I have prayed. Like I was 10 years old, I was in a camp meeting, or I was 15 years old and I was at youth camp. Or Pastor Steve, like I lifted my hands three weeks ago and I prayed when you said to pray and so I've confessed, I believe that I'm a sinner and I believe that Jesus died for me. Here's the thing, and I've been a pastor now since 1993. And this is the number one thing that I see Christians deal with over and over and over is they get free of that first guilt. They find out Jesus loves them. They confess their sin and they like, they leave like, ah. And then all of a sudden, like after a while, they start feeling guilty again because they're not perfect yet. And they feel the weight of their troubles and their issues and their mess ups and their mistakes. And again, the real, the real power, the real power of guilt is it makes us hide from relationship. 
And people that started coming to church and they was excited, like, man, talking about what God was doing. And man, they were pumped up. All of a sudden, you'll see people stop coming to church. And here's why. You can tell it's somebody who's dealing with the power of guilt and condemnation, the, 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 the blame of shame, the humiliation of God, like I blew it, like I knew I shouldn't have. Here's what happens is, is what was once a good thing, a warning of a dishonor relationship. Watch this. Here's what happens. Eventually the devil hijacks it and eventually turns into a weight that divides a relationship. What the enemy wants for you, he wants you to keep feeling guilt. Like you're wrong. You're still messed up. Something's still wrong with you. Because eventually it makes us want to run from people and run from God and keep making excuses. And so what makes us guilty after we're forgiven? What makes us keep feeling that guilt? There's three things really quick. You can write it down. First of all is our conscience, our Jiminy Cricket. Like we all have one. We all know when we do wrong, but it's messed up. I'm just telling you, you got a messed up mind and so do I, which means we need a new iOS download. We need a new software update. Because once you become a Christian in your heart, you have to think different as well. And sometimes we go back to that old way of thinking. The Bible says we all have a conscience. We all are aware. Nobody has to teach you or tell you. We all know when we do wrong. And that thing keeps going off. And even though you love Jesus and even though you've believed in him, even though you've put your trust in him that he's your savior, our conscience keeps telling us that we're guilty. Again, the Bible says, Romans 12, just real quick, we need to get our mind renewed. We need to confess what God said. We need to believe because, listen to this, God's truth is the highest truth. Let me sit over here. God's truth is the highest truth. I'm going to come over here. God's truth is the highest truth, which means it doesn't matter what you think about me, doesn't matter what you say, doesn't matter what this world says, doesn't matter what anybody else says, what God says is the ultimate authority in what's true. And so if God says I'm forgiven, I don't even care what my own mind thinks, I'm chosen and I belong to him. Mm. Here's another one, and I like this. I think y'all will get this. One of the things that makes us feel guilty after we're forgiven is the world we live in. Like, has anybody else realized that a lot of times the people that live in this world, they're the ones always pointing at Christians saying we're hypocritical and we're judgmental. And I don't know about you, but like I have kind of found out like the once I tell somebody that I'm a Christian and they're not a Christian, that they immediately put me in my life under the microscope. Like, wait a minute, I'm judgmental. Back it up, baby. Beep, beep. I mean, I feel like in this world that I'm playing the game Operation. Anybody know the game Operation, right? It has the guy with the red nose and like you get the rubber band. It has the, the metal tweezers. And if you just touch the edge, like that, like the world's just waiting for you just to mess up a little bit. I thought you were a Christian. Hey, I thought you loved Jesus. Hey, I thought you were one of those Jesus freaks. And like we're kind of like, and I don't know about you, but I feel like, oh, I messed up. Gosh, I blew my testimony. So a lot of times it's this world pointing us and calling us hypocrites and calling us to live at a level they would never live and we can't live. It sometimes drives us to feel guilty even after we're forgiven in Jesus. But the number one candidate, the number one thing that drives us to feel guilt after we're forgiven is Satan. The Bible tells us that he has all these titles. He has all these nomers that tells us who he is and gives us the 411 and his character and what the enemy, our spiritual enemy is really like. In fact, the Bible says that he's a deceiver. Do you know why? Because he's really good at deceiving. The Bible says that he is a tempter. Have you ever felt his temptation and his pull? He's good at what he does. 
The Bible says that he's our adversary. Like the number one person that you wrestle with in this world is not your mother-in-law. It's our spiritual enemy, our adversary. But the Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, it gives him this title, it gives him this name. He is the accuser. What the enemy is really good at is pointing his finger at the long list of things that we have done wrong. And even though the Bible says that God casts our sin into the sea of forgetfulness, here's what I have found out is the devil has an impeccable memory for everything I've ever done wrong and brings it up and reminds me, you said you would never do that again. I can't believe you did that. And so, man, the enemy puts me underneath the weight of guilt. And so how do we overcome the grip of guilt? God's grace is greater than. Come on, say it with me. God's grace is greater than. So the apostle Paul, he writes a couple more scriptures we're going to look at. And I believe like he's winding up because I believe he dealt with guilt just like I do. That even though that I've put my trust in Jesus, even though I believe that Jesus came, I believe he died for me, I believe I'm forgiven. Like there's days I wrestle with shame and I wrestle still with guilt. And like the grip of guilt tries to get me like in that arm lock and my heart lock and I have a hard time overcoming it. See, what you don't know maybe about Paul is before Paul was ever a Christian, he was one of the greatest persecutors of the New Testament church. In fact, you can read the story. This guy who so radically loved Jesus at one time hated Jesus and hated anybody who was connected with Jesus. Acts chapter 7 tells a story of this guy, Paul. Then he was known as Saul. He goes and he knocks on the door of a young man by the name of Stephen, drags him out. Stephen was a radical disciple of Jesus, one of the first. And right there on the road, he has Stephen beaten and not just beaten, but stoned and the Bible makes and paints the picture that Paul was right there. In fact, he was probably one of the ones holding the stones. And I believe like here he is now and he loves Jesus. And here he is now and he's trying to serve God and spread the word. And like the enemy keeps reminding him, yeah, you love Jesus like you killed one of your own. You slaughtered Stephen. And so in order to deal with the grip of guilt in his own heart, he writes these words. And I hope you all get this. If you're here and you love Jesus, but you struggle with guilt, like there's things you're still struggling with and it puts you underneath the weight of shame. I hope you hear this because these words will be the thing that'll set you free. Here's what he says. Romans chapter eight, verse one. Y'all got to read this with me out loud. There is therefore when? Yeah, but remember what I did today? Doesn't matter. There is for when? Now. How much condemnation? None, zip, zero. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's some great news right there. Now, see, I love it because Paul knows how we think. And I believe with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as he's writing this out, like I did a, like he had a typewriter back then or a keyboard you know, on his MacBook when he wrote the book of Romans. <laughs> as he's writing this out, like he thinks like we think. And some of you in this room, you got this hash, you got this, you got this asterisk, you got this hashtag, but yeah, what about me? And you're thinking, yeah, but I want to believe there's no condemnation. Like I do, I put my trust in Jesus. I believe Jesus died for me, but, but, but. And so he starts to answer your butts. He goes on, he says this, watch it, I love it. Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen as his own? See, I can list people who can accuse me. I can list people who was there when I did them wrong, hurt them, offended them, taken it. I can list them. They could stand here and line out the door. You know what Paul says? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen as his own? What's the answer? No one. It doesn't matter what men say. 
God's truth is the highest truth. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. He keeps going, watch it. Who then will condemn us? Come on, say it. No one. For Christ Jesus died for us. He was raised to life for us. And he's sitting in the right, in the, he's sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. He goes on, I, keep, I love it. Can anything, like think about whatever you're wrestling with, struggling with, whatever's in your past, whatever currently is on your horizon that makes you feel like you're ashamed and God doesn't want to be around you. And like whatever it is, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or we're persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? Come on, read it with me. No. No. If you know, I wrestle with this message. Some of you have been in church long enough. You'll know what I'm about to say here. If you're new to church, there's a concern, and it's been a concern since day one of Jesus dying for us, that people would abuse grace. And it's a real concern that people just show up in church, pray the prayer, God forgive me, and then just go live like hellions. Here's, here's my rebuttal to that, and it's true. Paul writes about it. Some of you, you've, you've never figured out how powerful God's grace is to ever take advantage of it anyways. You can't take advantage of it. You don't really believe it really is that powerful. That it can cleanse you and cover all your sins all the time. Like once you believe it's that powerful, then we'll talk about you taking advantage of it. No, despite all these things, whatever you can fill in the blank, all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loves us. Whew. So real quick, so how do we overcome guilt as Christ followers, as people who love Jesus, when the enemy points his finger, when the world reminds us, when our conscience goes off, how do we overcome it? Just quick thing, three things. I said it earlier, but let me kind of narrow it down. How do we overcome? Number one, we confess our sins. Stop making excuses. Stop justifying it. Listen, just admit it. Like I blew it. I said what I shouldn't have said. I did what I shouldn't have done. I went where I shouldn't have gone. God, I violated my relationship with you. God, I did it. That was me. No excuses. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, I love it. Not mistakes, not my shortcomings, not my stumblings and bumblings, sin. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So we confess our sin. We say what God says about our sin. Not what the world says. The world says, hey, it's no big deal. Hey, you were raised by the wrong people, wrong side of the tracks with one parent. Hey, it's how you were made. It's how you're created. It's, it's how you feel. No, God says I'm a sinner. And God's truth, come on, say it with me. God's truth is the highest truth. Number two, not we just confess our sins, but we confess Christ as our Savior. I can't save me. You can't save me. Counselors can't save me. This world can't save me. Parents can't save me. Money can't save me. Wealth can't save me. Degrees can't save me. Success cannot save me. Only Christ can save me. Number three, we confess his forgiveness. Here's what it looks like in my life. Confessing is declaring out of my mouth and out of my heart to come into alignment, to come into agreement with what God says. So, Father, Lord, I'm carrying a lot of guilt today, but I believe that I'm a sinner. Lord, I confess it. I blew it. I made mistakes. Lord, I make no excuse for it. God, I'm a sinner. I confess that to you. But, Lord, I thank you that you're my Savior. I could never save myself. Jesus, thank you for coming in my place, in my spot, taking my punishment for me. 
And Lord, I believe through it that I'm forgiven. I don't feel forgiven. The world tells me I'm not forgiven. But I thank you that your word says that all of my sins, all of my unrighteousness, all my cleanliness, God, I thank you that it's gone. And so Lord, I just confess your truth over my life. You pray a prayer like that, don't matter what people say. So I'm going to give you just four scriptures real quick. I encourage you to write these down. I'd encourage you this week, put them on your mirror, put them on your dashboard, put them somewhere you see them, put them on your smartphone, look them up, four scriptures real quick. How do you overcome the grip of guilt? Overcome the grip of guilt with the power of God's grace. Four scriptures, I love it. Here's what God says through Christ about our guilt. He puts it, number one, out of sight. Check this out, Isaiah 38, 17. Not like out of sight, ow, but like out of sight. He says, you have put all my sins behind your back. Like people are trying to shove them in your face. God says, no, I put them behind my back. Here's one, watch this. Not just out of sight, but out of mind. Jeremiah 31, 34. And I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. I'm glad y'all are really excited. I hope y'all are writing this down because your excitement is staggering. I mean, maybe you're perfect and like you don't have a long laundry list like I have, but I'm, I'm, I'm thankful And I'm amazed that God says, Steve, I've chosen to remember your sins no more. He puts them out of reach. Micah 7, 19, once again, you will have compassion on us. You will trample our sins under your feet. Watch this and throw them into the depths of the ocean. Now, listen, let me just get geeky on you real quick. I don't know if anybody watched the news this past week, but they have found what potentially is another planet in our solar system that is 15 times further out than what Pluto, I know it's no longer a planet. I don't know what we do with the pickles now, right? My educated mother just served us nine pickles, some of you guys. I know it's not, but 15, they have found a planet that's 15 times further out than Pluto. With Hubble, we can see to the depths of space. You know what we can't do? We have yet to investigate the depths of our own ocean. I love it. I believe it's like God saying, you, you won't like what you find down there because that's where I throw your rubbish. <laughs> God says, I'm going to cast your sin into the sea of forgetfulness. Last one, out of sight, out of mind, out of reach. God puts our sin out of existence. Isaiah 43, 25, I, yes, I alone will blot out your sins for my own sake and will never think of them again. Come on, church. 